Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. In the first episode of Brownstein's What's Next Colorado, a podcast series devoted to the legal, political, and business issues companies will face in the weeks and months to come as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, Brownstein shareholders Sarah Mercer, Doug Friednash, and Melissa Kuypers discuss where Colorado is at right now from a state and municipality's perspective, what reopening looks like, especially for restaurants, symptom tracking, and important liability concerns. Welcome to the Brownstein podcast series. I'm Sarah Mercer, and I'm joined today by Doug Friednash and Melissa Kuypers. Hey, guys. Hey. Hi there. Doug is the head of our state and local government relations practice group, and Melissa is the co-chair of our cannabis and industrial hemp practice group. But together, they are co-chairing our state and local uh, and regulatory group of our business reopening response team, which we've formed uh, to help our clients uh, with subject matter experts from all across the firm to help our clients to um, be able to address and be able to understand the issues that they're going to be facing as we move out of this lockdown phase due to the COVID-19 crisis and into this sort of step-by-step reopening of the economy. So, Melissa, let's start with you. Can you help us to understand what it means for Colorado to uh, be moving out of stay at home and into what Governor Polis is calling safer at home? Yeah, happy to. And thanks, Sarah, uh, for having me on today. So, you know, the stay-at-home order expired on April 26th. And ever since that time, the state has gradually uh, moved forward with a minimal reopening in certain sectors. The first day, April 27th, was curbside delivery for retail and minimal real estate showings, for example, because obviously that market was still hopeful by both home buyers and home sellers, and the governor took note of that. Um, May 1st, we started to allow retail and personal services, and people joke about, you know, needing a haircut for the worst time in their life, and I think the uh, retail community was happy to, to schedule those with appropriate social distancing. And lastly, on May 4th was kind of the final tranche of the Safer at Home opening where uh, non-critical offices and private offices and firms could reopen with uh, limited density, so 50% personnel and remote working to the extent it was available. You know, I will say, I think Governor Polis is a leader in this space to try and find that balance between complete and total lockdown for health reasons with a clear recognition that people need to go back to work. Both employees and employers had to get the wheels of industry turning again. So we're in this safer at home where if you can stay home, please do. But if you need to go out and do some of these essential tasks or services uh, for your person or your family, you can do that. And Doug, what does this look like with respect to local governments? I think a great example is Denver. Um, We know that the stay-at-home order for Denver was extended beyond the stay-at-home order for the state. How is that working together? Yeah, no, and thank you too, Sarah. Happy to be on this. You know, I think what we're seeing is this, and, and I do think it's one of the great things about the order. The risks are different in cities and counties across the state. And Denver's a good example in the metro area, which has had maybe more of a, a hot spot. So on uh, Saturday, May 9th, businesses were allowed to reopen in a more expansive way, consistent with the state order. You know, non-critical retail, such as you know, clothing, home goods, cell phones, with allowing 50% of their employees there and, um, you know, six-foot social distancing, allowing personal services, 
um, non-critical offices with 50% of their employees there, um, real estate showings to take place, in-person real estate showings, and limited healthcare. So you're seeing it start to reopen in more of an organic fashion that meets the needs and concerns of cities. Across the state, you're seeing different counties starting to apply for more latitude from the state to, to even be more expansive. So I think um, being able to navigate that is, in, and realizing there's not a one-size-fits-all approach is a better approach and also less formulaic and creates a system that's more flexible and it doesn't just necessarily create winners and losers, but is thoughtful and um, responds to the crisis as it needs to. And there are some businesses that are still closed. Gyms and rec centers, for example, are going to be remained closed for a little while. Ski areas uh, also had their closure order extended. Restaurants have absolutely been a subject of concern for people. Melissa, talk to us a little bit about kind of where are restaurants now and what might that look like moving forward for restaurants? I think we're, we're seeing some examples of other states, too, about how restaurants might reopen. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, to be honest, a lot of people want to know when they can go enjoy a meal at a restaurant again. And I think it's a great question. So certainly curbside pickup and takeout and delivery services are still recommended. You know, there's a an interesting issue for restaurant owners, both on their employee side and how do I have my employees return to work if they want to return to work? What are the safety protocols for them? And as Doug alluded to, you know, what we've come to in some ways, expect now, um, you know, the, the wearing of masks and gloves, appropriate social distancing when possible on the employee side, staggered shifts where there's only a certain amount of employees or customers in a restaurant at the same time. And quite frankly, a lot of alfresco dining, I think we're about to see where there's significantly, you know, less chance for a large number of people or certainly sizes over 10 uh, to commingle within one restaurant. But I, I honestly think that they're actually going to be among the last to truly reopen and truly get back up to market. And the one concern that we've heard from restaurant owners is even if we're allowed to do 50% capacity, which is the general working feeling at the moment, it's not enough to make ends meet. And what does that mean for me as a restaurant owner in the coming months? And how long is this 50% number going to remain in place? So to the extent Colorado, and we're seeing it in other states, Florida is a great example. They're encouraging all of their restaurant retailers to simply open entirely outdoors. And for Doug and I, who kind of live in this legal and regulatory space, that probably requires some changes at the local level to allow additional capacity outside where uh, those ordinances are usually pretty strict about how, how many people can be out there. So I think you're going to see an ongoing conversation about how to get the economy going in restaurants and get people, quite frankly, back out and spending money in a way that they want to and restaurants need them to. I think Melissa made a really excellent point about modernizing businesses, um, which are restaurants and other businesses are going to have to modernize for the new normal. And her point about outside dining is exactly spot on. You are seeing a few counties and cities knocking on the door. Um, Aspen and Pitkin County are trying to open restaurants May 20th with limited seating capacity, et cetera. And I think Mesa County is also seeking a variance um, as well. So, I mean, I think you will see some spots try to knock on the door, but I do agree this is a much harder uh, dance to figure out. I'll piggyback on that because, Melissa, the, the point that you made about 
ordinances possibly needing to be changed to accommodate the outdoor um, alfresco dining, um, as well as what we're seeing in Florida, which is expedited permitting. If restaurants are the ones who kind of pave the way for this, you can imagine how that modernization is going to have to happen in other businesses too, other retail businesses, and even possibly in office buildings. And in order to bring people back to work, those regulatory processes, not only are is the laws maybe going to need to be changed, or maybe they can be modified at least temporarily through um, by emergency or executive orders, but they'll need to be expedited too if we want to get up and running quickly. So uh, I think that's just definitely something for us to keep our eye on because it could be a little bit of a tip of the spear of what's to follow for other businesses following on the restaurants. Melissa, I, I want to turn now to uh, something else that you alluded to, which is what does this mean for employers and for the owners of these businesses with respect to their employees coming back to work and with respect to public access or having you know, customers in their shops? You talked about the gloves and social distancing. Obviously, there's uh, cleaning protocols and procedures that employers are going to have to face. You know, when you're talking to clients, what are the biggest and most frequent questions that you're, that you're hearing from your clients on that issue? So I think it's a combination of things. It is, you know, can I reopen now? And generally speaking, the answer is yes with modifications. And, you know, depending on whether or not you own a hair salon or a restaurant or you run a law firm, you know, your needs and obligations are different. And I think your um, expectation of what a, a return to some sort of normalcy is going to be might look. For example, in the retail space for hair and nail salons, there's some pretty clear guidance that you can't have anyone uh, who's going to walk in, for example. Everything has to be by appointment only. You have to have appropriate distancing. I mean, and for these personal services, you know, you really can't maintain social distancing. So what are those alternatives, which is a, a key question for sure. But yes, I mean, on the employer side as well, there's a lot of questions about liability. If I bring my employees back to work, am I liable should they become exposed to COVID-19? If I open my business in compliance with state and local orders, which allow me to reopen, and someone who comes into my place of business as a customer or client, and they're exposed to COVID-19, what is my liability? And I think there's this balancing act to be had, certainly, that quite frankly, no one's ever walked this tightrope before, and we're all kind of attempting to understand it and, and put it in place in real time, uh, you know, driving the car while you build it, for example. <laughs> and You know, there's a lot of concern, but there's also this underlying pressure to get back to work and to start making revenue again. And there's going to be an issue in Washington, certainly a conversation about this liability and how Congress might be able to give businesses some breathing room on opening back up and what their potential legal exposure could be across the board. And Doug, I, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the the liability piece. But first, Doug, I want to ask you, what about monitoring symptoms What does that look like for employers, both for their employees, but also for people who are coming into their place of business? That's a great question. You know, I I think, first of all, there's four measures that can dramatically reduce the epidemic. One is first testing who has it. Then the next step is isolation, preventing those people who have it from infecting others. Then there's contact tracing uh, to kind of know who they've talked to. And then quarantining those people that may have been in, uh, that may come up with contact tracing. We know we need to do that. Having said that, the resources aren't there nationally. We're, we're far beyond those four pieces. Um, so what's really happening is there's intense pressure on businesses, you know, the unemployment uh, on government to reopen business. I mean, the unemployment figure that just came out is at 14.7%. 
So businesses have to kind of navigate employee safety, social distancing, public education, improved sanitation, and follow these guidelines. And, and what makes it, I think, even more challenging, Sarah, is the guidelines are going to change constantly. There's going to be a patchwork of regulations that may apply. So I do think, though, there are some best practices that will take place. But even you know, in areas that government may have said we need to do temperature checks, now they're talking about stepping back from that a little because of you know, some of the liability concerns of that. So we are in this really uncharted territory. We know certain things work, certain things reduce the risk of the epidemic being spread, but it's hard for a variety of reasons to implement all those regulations. And it's particularly hard for businesses to know, you know, if you've got a business in different cities and counties, what set of rules and regulations apply? And you're going to see constant changes. You know, the best analogy I've heard is, you know, the hammer and the dance. The hammer was the easy part, shutting down the lockdown of businesses. But the next step of reopening is really complicated. And that's the dance. I mean, and it's going to change over time. You know, we're going to let people, more people on the dance floor. And if we start to see a second wave, we're going to take people and things off the dance floor. So I think businesses need to adopt some best practices and follow the you know, public health guidelines and think through how they can uh, partner to create additional safety and uh, work with the elected officials on you know, public education. And that's such a good point that you make about, you know, how do businesses comply? Um, and we even saw some of that during the stay at home order. And it did seem that both from a state and local level, the tack that was taken here in Colorado, at least, was to really more about education than about citation. And it was only in those instances where the uh, flaunting of the regulations seemed particularly egregious that it seemed that you had that citation. But it really did seem like it was much more on that education piece. And, you know, we certainly, it's a little too early to tell how all of that's going to shake out, but it does seem that that's the tenor, at least in Colorado. And that uh, as we move into safer at home, that the sort of first wave will really be about education. If you forget to bring your mask to the grocery store, you may be asked to leave, but you're probably unlikely to, to get a citation. And hopefully Colorado doesn't see some of the tragedies that we've been seeing across the country because, you know, this really does also create just a lot of anxiety for people, generally speaking. And I think for businesses too, you know, and thinking about the compliance standard for them to reopen, they do need certainty. So let's, let's talk about what's next in terms of creating certainty. Melissa, you mentioned uh, the possibility of federal legislation around the issue of liability, which it really does seem that the business community, at least the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, is saying that businesses need in order to have the confidence to reopen. Can, you, can either of you speak a little bit more to that? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, you know, this is uh, somewhat of a traditional battle um, between who's liable for what, between business groups and, you know, essentially the U.S. Chamber and the trial lawyers across the country who, you know, may have some motivation to look for liability here. And and there's really not a standard, you know, rule of engagement. I mean, any defense lawyer will tell you, you know, you make a case by, you know, what was the standard of care and was it violated? And we are literally without a standard of care here, uh, attempting to create one for businesses, which only adds to their anxiety because 
uh, it's all brand new and, and truly unprecedented. But lawmakers in Washington recognize that across the board. And we can't expect the economy to thrive and to get up and running, certainly, if everywhere you turn, businesses are now being sued for COVID-related uh, litigation. So there is going to be an effort in Washington to find a way to provide at least a safe harbor for businesses that comply with certain criteria. Those criteria are still being discussed. But there is going to be somewhat of a standard of care that I think you will see come out of Washington. And if those standards are met, businesses are not liable for COVID-related claims. So before we go, Melissa, I want to ask you just one last question about this new business reopening uh, response team that we've started up internally in the firm. Can you tell us a little bit about how we're helping our clients with this new group? Absolutely. Uh, So the team was assembled uh, really over the last week across all practice areas and geographic locations for the firm to address uh, many of the issues that you raised with us, Sarah, everything from employment issues uh, to, you know, certainly how to reopen both on an employee and and customer perspective and really what it means for our clients and various industries and across all sectors of the economy, what the next steps uh, look like and how can they best be ready. And we've consulted a lot of national guidelines, including the Consumer um, and Industrial Hygiene Association and and some leaders in the field with, you know, what are in fact the best practices being developed here and how can we best serve our clients. And really it's across the board and we're really excited about the team. There's about 25 lawyers and policy professionals that are in this team. But very honestly, Brownstein has such a great scope of of relationships that any attorney that our clients work with could certainly help and, and point them in the right direction. But we wanted to really formalize this group and and have clients understand that um, we're here and we're ready to help. And, and there's a place to go to ask all these questions without having to sort through various state and local orders individually. Yeah, I know you guys are putting out some really great content um, in our client alerts and on our website too. So We'll keep an eye on that. And I just want to thank both of you for being here and can't wait to check in with you again to find out where things have gone since this conversation and to let folks know maybe, you know, where we're going to be continuing to go. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.